Whether it's an acquisition or simply raising funds, I think the key is credibility. You know, when you're presenting the business, you have to ask the question, is the story credible? A lot of times investors, they're putting their money into a forward-looking forecast. So can they believe what the CEO or the CFO is telling them? Um, you know, they're going to also see what their track record been, right? If the financials in the data room are clean and organized, it adds credibility to the numbers that the investors are essentially hanging their hats on. When it comes down to it, it's the role of the CFO is right up there with the CEO because the CEO is really the visionary. They're the ones that are setting the stage for the company, but the CFO is right up there making sure that the numbers and the story is credible. Hey, this is Danny, and welcome to the Spend Culture Stories podcast. You know, we're not just another boring finance or procurement podcast. We explore the sometimes challenging stories and learnings when people, spend, and organizations meet, and how to drive sustainable growth while still balancing control and agility. We have vulnerable, honest, and raw conversations with only the most forward-thinking CFOs, finance executives, and procurement leaders who are challenging the status quo, that the way we've done it is just not enough. This is Spend Culture Stories. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Spend Culture Stories. This is Danny, and today our guest is Shovik Roy, the Chief Financial Officer of Drop. So Drop, um, you might also have heard of them before. They are the first intelligent rewards program to surface personalized offers based on the way you spend. Shovik is a finance executive with experience leading teams at large public companies and also fast-paced growth startups, including his previous role as CFO at VersaPay and the director of finance at FreshBooks. So a lot of great experience there. And Shovik, as someone who also works in the fintech space, I'm super excited to have you on the show today. Welcome. Thank you, Danny. Looking forward to this. Absolutely. You know, this is a question we always like to use as a warm-up question. Maybe you can let the audience know how you got started in the field of finance and what made you interested in pursuing this career path. Yeah, I don't think I had a real concrete plan, but it was a combination of, I think, doing okay in accounting and in economics and math and a little of, little of understanding of you know the value of being, a, I guess, a designated professional and some influence from my parents. I think so all of those things combined just kind of you know, put me down the path in finance. You know, a little bit of background, my grandfather was a businessman and his, his right hand was was his accountant. And so my mom was kind of told me that he was highly respected and the one person my grandfather always went to for advice. So I thought, I thought that was pretty cool. And so that's kind of got my interest uh, into finance and specifically into accounting. That's awesome. Yeah, I feel like um, that's something that's so important is, you know, the childhood influence. And it is true. A lot of times the CFO is the right hand of the CEO. Yeah, I, I like to think so. I mean, uh, you know, I look at myself not just as a finance leader, but a business leader. And so I think that's, I think that comes with experience, but it's also the advantage of finance because we touch so many different areas of the business. We're not just like really focused on one particular area. Like if it's product or engineering or even people, finance usually gets involved in some sort of decision making. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Do you think um, there's anything you wish you knew before you became like a finance leader? One of the things I probably wished I knew back then, um, but I really fully appreciate now is a good finance leader has really very uh, little to do with being good at math or accounting as such. I think it's really being an excellent communicator, being a quick learner, having really amazing organizational skills, and really being able to quickly quantify the impact of business business decisions and, you know, having the confidence and 
conviction to stand by those decisions. I think those are those are some soft skills that are more difficult to learn than the hard skills around finance or capital markets and tax and things like that. I love that. I've seen um, this business term finance business partner a lot recently on LinkedIn where CFOs are starting to talk about like the future of finance. And I think you're on point there where it's not just about like, oh, doing the cost controls or making sure that all the numbers match up. It's really like what you mentioned, working with all the different departments. Yeah, I think those are table stakes, right? For most finance people, like those are things you kind of learn at early on in your career and make sure you have those down pat. Obviously, can't be a really a good finance leader with, without having those skills. But I think that's kind of, like I said, table stakes. And that's kind of you establish those skills early on in your career. And hopefully you, you evolve after that. And then you grow and, and kind of utilize those skills for other more, um, I guess, bigger and larger decisions. I love that. And I know you've only been at Drop, I think, since August. So you are still quite new. I'm really curious on hearing, you know, what is it like being onboarded as a CFO during the pandemic? And how did you adapt to all the changes there? I think joining a new company is always a bit of a challenge, regardless of, you know, COVID or not. You're meeting new people, you're learning about how things are done, different deals or partnerships that were signed before your time. And I think it's just, you essentially have to be a sponge for the first 90 days or so, in my opinion, to really get a good grasp of the business and, and, and how things work. But now, you know, to your point, now during COVID, it just gets amplified, right? Not that onboarding, those difficulties or challenges being onboarded during a pandemic and everyone's working remotely is definitely more challenging than normal. You just don't have those normal resources around you where you can just, you know, if in a normal situation, you just spin around your chair and just mm-hmm. ask a question to somebody or, or meeting somebody in the lunchroom or grabbing a coffee with somebody in marketing or, you know, speaking to people where I think a lot of great conversations happen just ad hoc. That kind of goes away, right? Everything is kind of more or less scheduled now, which that or, those organic conversations are hard to have. Um, and so that's obviously a challenge. But I think specifically a company like Drop or tech companies in general have the advantage of usually being early adopters of technology. So things like Zoom and Slack and other task management tools, which you know were already part of our culture, it wasn't a huge change, right? So those kinds of things are probably a lot more challenging for legacy businesses who typically don't or haven't used those kinds of things. So yeah, definitely, I can only imagine if this happened 20 years ago, the kind of impact and challenge everybody would be facing right now would be, in my opinion, probably insurmountable. Like it would be a a catastrophic economic downturn. But luckily, most businesses have been able to adapt and sort of navigate it pretty well throughout this whole thing. Mm -hmm. And then drop specifically just values the importance of people so much. So they try to immerse uh, you know all new hires into the culture immediately we introduce people at weekly company town halls we have company-wide virtual lunches so you can meet all the new hires and you know just have casual conversations we have uh, weekly virtual social events on thursday evenings nice so all these kinds of things are are uh, are there to kind of mitigate uh, some of the challenges i was just speaking about but it's definitely not the same thing as meeting people face-to-face for sure Yeah, definitely. I can kind of imagine, you know, the alignment piece is something that is a little bit more forced rather than, you know, being able to talk to people in like a lunchroom and having these great conversations naturally. So it's really interesting to actually hear from someone that, you know, went through onboarding as a CFO out of all the roles and, you know, being working with all the departments and trying to figure that out during Zoom chats. And like, that's crazy to me. Yeah. And definitely someone like me, I love interaction with people. That's how I can get my energy. So definitely um, for someone like me, it is, it is a little bit more challenging, but 
Luckily, like I said, I think our company's done a pretty good job still trying to, you know, make the best of the situation. And I've had the fortune to kind of still go into the office once in a while and still maintain social distancing, but having some some face-to-face interaction, which helps. And, you know, you've only been with the company for two months, but I'm sure you've already did a lot of like amazing things to fix a lot of broken processes. So what changes have you already made? Um, what initiatives have you started within this time? Yeah, I think changes is maybe a term that sometimes gets misinterpreted because things weren't working and you know, which isn't necessarily the case. I think I remember when I first joined my previous employer, Birth to Pay, there were tons of significant changes that I had to implement right away because things were just just broken. Um, you know, I had to build a new team, implement a new financial reporting, uh, created new processes, eliminated redundant ones, things like that. So fortunately, kudos to the team at Drop. It's nowhere near that. It's been a lot more tweaking and kind of getting out of the way and making sure my team continues to forge ahead. And, and my response was just to make sure that, you know, any obstacles are kind of removed. I think my main purpose right now is really helping our CEO with strategy and execution and fundraising. So when I just first joined a couple of months ago, like within the first month, uh, we had a board meeting. So I quarterbacked, um, you know, the change of our board deck, uh, changing more of the, the flow and the feel of those meetings, uh, kind of quote unquote professionalized them a little bit more, uh, changed our investor materials, helped streamline a lot of the meetings we were having into more focused and effective ones as a leadership team. I think, you know, a lot of times companies, when you're in the weeds, you kind of ta- start tacking on meetings on top of each other. And you just, before you know it, your calendar is just filled with a ton of meetings and some of them are not very effective or redundant. And so uh, having a, a set of fresh eyes on those things kind of allowed me to kind of initiate some change in, in that regard. Mm. So I, I think, you know, sometimes less is more. I think we're getting more out of these meetings that are than previously we did. Tell me about it. Like when we first transitioned to into the whole virtual Zoom setting, there were a lot of meetings because, you know, with them, the distancing, people are afraid, right? There's a lot of uncertainty. But as soon as you start figuring out what are the most important things you got to talk about, now the meetings are less and less and they're also more effective. So I'm really glad that you were able to come in and see some of the improvements that you can make on that end. I would love to talk a little bit more about fundraising. I know we're going to talk about that as a topic later, but I'm curious on how you would describe the spend culture of Drop. What are the attitudes, beliefs, and processes around spending for the company, especially during this time as well? Yeah, that's a good question. I think maybe because Drop is an app geared towards consumers saving money, I think the staff likewise can appreciate the value of, of a dollar. You know, I've only been here for a couple months, but I get the sense that employees have a sense of pride and ownership in the company. So a wasted dollar here feels like it's a wasted dollar for them personally. So it's good to see that sort of mentality here. And mind you, I've joined at a time where there really aren't very many opportunities to spend money. So we'll see when uh, hopefully at at some point in the future when we're back to some sort of uh, normalcy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fair enough. It is a hard time for a lot of people. So during this time, a lot of companies are cutting a lot of budgets, but there are also certain initiatives where they might actually spend more money. So how would you say that the costs are reallocated during uh, drop during this time? Yeah, I think, you know, um, because we do spend a lot of money on on people when they're in the office, obviously there's a little bit of cost savings there. I wouldn't say a tremendous amount, but with some of those savings, we redeployed them back to the employees again anyway, because we want to make sure that they're comfortable in their homes. You know, a lot of them are working under, you know, cramped uh, rooms. So I want to make sure they have the right chairs or desks or, or phone bills are probably higher than normal and things like that. So we're trying to do things to offset some of that inherently higher cost. So that's how we're kind of, I guess, 
continuing to spend or invest in our people. In other ways, we're also kind of looking for ways to save money in terms of just in office space and things like that. I think a lot of companies are probably in the same same boat. There's a lot of unutilized office space. So one of my first initiatives here that I when I joined was like, hey, what can we do to to offload some of this space. And I think in the future, there may not be the need for such a, we have a beautiful office, mind you, a beautiful, large office. In the next few years, I don't think from the um, sentiment I get from employees that people are going to feel comfortable going into the office anytime soon. So mm-hmm. I think there's going to be a lot of space that can be offloaded. So subleased or something like that. But obviously we have to take into consideration the safety of our employees first. So we'll make sure that if we can, we'll do it in a way that's that's still maintaining that. But, you know, that's that's um, kind of things we're looking into. I love that. I think it's so important to, you know, have a people-oriented culture. And I can really tell, drop past that, which is why, like, I was super excited to speak to you and the team there. Also, it's a Canadian company. So we are always happy to profile, you know, locals as well. For sure. Awesome. I would love to also hear more about your prior experience as CFO at VersaPay. So as a CFO, what is your role when it comes to either like an acquisition or a raise? What are some of the key considerations that a finance leader needs to support at that CFO to make this successful? Good question. I think whether it's an acquisition or simply uh, raising funds, I think the key is credibility. You know, when you're presenting the business, you have to ask the question, is the story credible? A lot of times investors are they're putting their money into a forward-looking forecast. So can they believe what the CEO or the CFO is telling them? Um, you know, they're going to also see what their track record has been, right? So those are the kinds of things you want to make sure you have uh, right. Secondly, it's the financials themselves. I think if the financials in the data room are clean and organized, it adds credibility to the numbers that the investors are essentially hanging their hats on. You know, I would say when it comes down to it, it's the role of the CFO is right up there with the CEO because the CEO is really the visionary. They're the ones that are setting the stage for the company, but the CFO is right up there making sure that the numbers and the story is credible. So I think, you know, for me, myself, I was very involved in the acquisition of VersaPay, you know, everything from originally having the investor meetings, garnering interest in the business, creating the models, choosing the right advisors and lawyers, which are actually very key, and ultimately responsible for the due diligence required to ensure a smooth process fell on me. So I think all of those things are really key considerations to have when you're selling the company or, or even raising just money. Definitely. And, you know, scaling a company is quite difficult when it comes to, you know, balance, right? Like, especially for startups, I feel like there's um, a sense of agility when it comes to growth, but also it's important to balance those financial controls. So as a CFO, what are your best tips to making sure that, you know, you got the controls in place, but you're still moving as agile as you can? Yeah, another good question, Danny. I think the role of finance is really not to police but to establish guardrails, you know, if you do things properly. You know, everything doesn't have to be about policies per se, but building a culture around best practices and just really about going about business um, strategically rather than always thinking about what's the short-term financial impact. You know, we just came through a, a recent example where we know we have a bunch of initiatives that are very important for the company in the near term. Um, we need to hire a mm-hmm. couple of engineers it may not be budgeted for, but I know it's critical for the business. So if we were to just strictly go by the financial lens, you would say, no, we can't afford it. But then as a financial leader, you would say, well, how can we not afford it? You know what I mean? It's like the same question, but you just kind of spin it. It's like, if we don't do this thing, then, you know, it might put the company in a, in a bigger problem, in a bigger predicament. If you don't spend the money, sometimes you have to spend money to make money. But again, it comes with a little bit of experience and a little bit of knowledge in, about the industry and space. And 
I think if you can balance that out, you'll hopefully make, you know, most of the time more correct decisions than, than wrong ones. I actually love that. It's about like rephrasing kind of the questions you're asking and also thinking about what's the potential longer term ROI. I love like the more long term thinking in this scope of mind. You got it. So what are your current priorities then at Drop? What are some of the strategic goals in this period and maybe maybe even moving into 2021? I think my priority right now is really short-term in nature. It's really around crushing Q4. You know, Drop has had an incredibly strong year despite COVID. So I think our board and, and, and investors are quite happy, but we are heading into the busiest period of the year. And I want mm-hmm. to ensure that everyone is focused and aligned on key financial metrics as well as other business metrics. So, you know, we have great momentum going into next year with the possibility of raising perhaps another round of financing. So I think it's really important that we finish the year off strong. So I think for me also, as a CFO, when I first met Derek, our CEO, one of the things that he was facing is a co-founder and CEO that he was just spread too thin. He didn't have enough bandwidth to, to be involved in everything. So I think, you know, he's been busy professionalizing his leadership team over the last little bit to help them alleviate some of that load. And so that's kind of where I've come in as an experienced leader to run with some of the things that he no longer has the bandwidth and, and he wants to focus on some other more key visionary things for the company. Definitely. I feel like um, you're going to be able to balance that part out too, where now you're having two leaders on both ends. Like you were saying, one that's keeping like the financials in place, but also making the right decisions when it comes to like the spend part. And then Derek is focusing on the vision part. Like, are we doing the right things, building the right things. So that's a really great balance that you're finding. That's right. So what do you think in general? So we talked a lot about tech and fundraising. What do you think are some of the biggest challenges that a tech finance leader has to face in the next two to three years? Well, obviously the big elephant in the room is COVID. I think there's a lot of uncertainty in the next few years, um, obviously with this virus and its impact and how people work, spending, of course, that you alluded to and you know, we might have to be prepared for an elongated recession. So I think finance leaders have to figure out how to navigate this new uncharted territory. Personally, I think the remote working aspect is going to be a challenge. I think maintaining a work culture like that of drops is going to be a challenge in the long term. It doesn't mean that we can't adapt to it, but I think in the next year or two, that's going to be a challenge, I think. Also, I know, you know, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but companies will have to adapt to, to new technology a lot faster which Hmm. I'm actually looking forward to. I think it'll make our lives a lot easier and um, it'll free up some time for us to actually focus on more value-added things. Yeah, definitely. I know you mentioned, you know, tech companies, they're usually the early adopters in technology. And I think I've read also like a recent article on Accounting Today where they're talking about the future-driven CFO. One of the key skills they must have is actually being technologically minded. So as like a CFO that both works in a tech company and also pretty forward thinking, how do you envision the fintech landscape to evolve? Um, is there any like new tools that you're thinking of using? Um, yeah, what does the ideal finance tech stack look like to you? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think uh, finance is already down that path of automation. You know, my previous work experience was, uh, was at VersaPay, which was in the accounts receivable automation space. So, you know, we were doing there is really converting people from the old paper invoice um, process, you know, stuffing envelopes, sending out an invoice to their customers and customers then writing a check and, you know, that check getting lost in the mail and things like that. That whole process was such a hard task, but now COVID hit and all of a sudden every, you know, every company's accounts receivable team is sitting at home, their accounts payable team is at home. 
So how do you get paid? How do you send invoices? So obviously, all these issues have culminated into, you know, companies really being forced to expedite their automation, um, whether it's, you know, that particular area or even just in other areas in general, like accounting systems. You know, I think gone are the days of having a on-premise accounting ERP system. Everyone's moving to, you know, solutions like NetSuite and other cloud-based programs. You know, another one, Zero. obviously my alma mater at FreshBooks, FreshBooks with small businesses, providing them cloud-based accounting services, you name it, everything's going to become either cloud-based. So you don't necessarily have to be, you could be anywhere, right? You could be anywhere and being able to access all your tools that you need. And then automation of all these old historic legacy processes are going to be, um, you know, front and foremost for most uh, tech leaders in the coming years. I totally agree. I think I'm speaking to some CFOs in the more traditional industries, like this is a first for them. This is like a monumental change that they had to make. Like they never had to think about how to automate, like, for example, their invoicing processing, or they never had to automate, you know, how they send POs. So this is like something that they're doing for the very first time. But for you, like you've also worked in other fintechs. So I feel like you're already well-versed in the space. Um, may I ask also what your current tech stack looks like at Drop? Yeah, so the current tech stack that we use a drop, uh, we use a bunch of cloud-based solutions. We use Zero for our accounting uh, solution. So it's, an, um, it's a cloud-based solution that's been working really well for us for the last couple of years. We use uh, Looker for our visualization of all of our financial metrics. So graphs, charts can be easily created. We use Microsoft Office, but uh, we use the cloud-based solution. So um, Office 365. So we can collaborate on documents and spreadsheets real-time. I can see changes that are being made by other members of my team. I can ask questions. So it's really actually quite good and quite effective. And so there's no real risk of us kind of overriding each other's changes and things like that. So it's, that's been great. We also use things like Slack just to communicate with each other quickly. Um, your listeners are probably familiar with it, but it's a, basically an instant messaging tool. And it's great for collaboration as well. We can share documents quickly and easily as well through there and just ask quick questions if we need to. But, you know, I think what we're kind of due for in the next little bit is, like I mentioned earlier, perhaps um, a planning and budgeting tool that will be, you know, once, once Drop is kind of ready for that, we'd be looking at a solution for that. I love it. I feel like it's also different stages that you're shopping for in a company, right? Like when you're Series A, you might not need a lot of things and then you grow and grow and you're like, okay, now I got to like add on to my tech stack and make it more comprehensive. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think some of those tools are great to have, but I think you kind of... You got you to walk before you run. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I think, yeah, Drop's been around for five or six years now and the company's grown and now it's, you know, it's ready for some of those new technologies. And that's an exciting time, um, but you just got to also deal with the onboarding and making sure everybody's on board with it. Yeah. So what do you think are the most important questions to ask um, within your company to assess the financial health or the spend culture of, of an organization? Because I feel like asking the right questions is really important, making sure people are also aware of their decisions around spend. I think for me, it's a quite obvious uh, answer, and it's just monitoring cash. Um, for, for Drop and most startups, cash is king. And so you want to make sure you have enough cash runway to get through any you know, difficult times as we're all kind of facing right now. And also just monitoring ca cash burn itself. So if there's things you can do to improve cash burn, where it's an emphasized focus on reducing some discretionary spending or focusing on gross margin, things like that, um, that's, I think, that's how you assess the, you know, the financial health of an organization. Yeah, sometimes just keeping it simple is the way to go as well. Exactly. Yeah. 
Well, you've definitely worked at some really amazing companies during your career that scaled like pretty rapidly too. And within those experiences, what would you say are your biggest accomplishments and lessons learned? Just quickly summarizing it. Yeah, I think I'm most proud of my ability to build teams. I'm really proud mm-hmm. that, you know, I've had a lot of success with really giving opportunities for my team to kind of improve themselves, develop and, you know, really get promoted in some cases, in some cases go on, um, go on to actually lead finance teams of their own. So I'm really proud to say that I've, I've been a, a champion of, of my finance teams. And generally speaking, I have had, I've had really low turnover. So I'm really proud of that. Mm, that's awesome. I think that's huge, like being able to build other leaders as a leader. Like, I feel like that's really the pinnacle of when you know you've kind of figured out how to make magic happen. I think so. I think people are our biggest assets. So I'm always proud because um, the other things kind of are important too. But I think the people aspect for me is what I'm most proud of. Yeah, definitely. And if you had a do over, like if you were able to do something again in your career, how would you do something differently? Good question. I hate to say, I don't, I don't think I have regrets. So I don't know if I'd do over necessarily, but I guess if I could tweak it, maybe I would have loved to kind of spend some time abroad earlier in my career um, working internationally, I think would have been a great experience for me. I think it's really harder to do later on in life when you have family and, and other liabilities kind of, um, so it's really hard to you know get up and move. But I wish I could have done that a little bit, but that's a very small thing. I, I think I've been quite happy with the decisions I've made in my career and how things have evolved. I've been quite fortunate. So don't want to sound ungrateful about, about any of that. I love that though, because I feel like it's not really good to look back and kind of regret, but really look back as seeing as part of like the lessons, part of the journey. So I'm really glad you have that outlook towards life. Well, thank you. I'm the same way. Like sometimes I think, oh, should I have done that differently? But I wouldn't be able to make that decision at that time anyways, you know? Yeah, because who knows at that time, if if you did something differently, maybe the things that happened afterwards wouldn't have been the same. And so you might not be happy with the ultimate direction that your life would have taken if you'd made a different decision, you know, it's that whole sliding doors thing or what have you. So exactly. It's always the uncertainty, right? You think, oh, what could have been? But you're here because of the decisions you're making. Exactly. I always feel everything happens for a reason. And so even when you think something uh, didn't turn out your way, you know, those jobs I've applied for before that I never got. And I thought, you know, oh man, that really sucks. My life is over type of thing. But, you know, things worked out miraculously, probably even for the better. So, and I'm here at Drop now, so it couldn't be any better. I love that. And I think that's a beautiful end to this interview. So thank you so much, Shovik, for taking the time to talk to me and sharing your thoughts with the audience as well. Thank you, Danny. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me. And it's been uh, it's been a blast. Amazing. And if you guys want to check out Drop as well, um, you can visit their website at www.earnwithdrop.com. It's a really cool app. Um, do check it out if you haven't yet already done so. Um, this is Danny once again. Thank you so much for joining me on another episode. And we'll see you again on the next one. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of today. If you like this podcast, please make sure to subscribe so you don't miss another great guest. We'd also appreciate it if you give us a five-star review on iTunes for the Apple listeners out there. This podcast is sponsored by Procurify, a spend management solution that is making managing business spend simple. I know there's still a lot of you that are using spreadsheets, credit cards, and expense forms, or a mix of the above. Perhaps you're still using a procurement module in your ERP that is clunky and outdated. Procurify helps you implement proactive controls so that purchases are tracked and approved by the right person before it hits accounts payable. 
never have to worry about a surprise invoice ever again. There's a reason why over 400 customers around the world love us. Our award-winning, easy-to-use system is loved by people everywhere. It's actually a purchasing system that your employees will actually want to use, believe it or not. Check us out at Procurify.com. So that's www.procurify.com. And mention the podcast for a sweet listener special on our packages. 